My name is Jim Elliott, and I'm the founder and president of Dive Heart. What inspired you to create Dive Heart? Well, my father was a um, was a um, a veteran, army veteran, with a disability. So really, I, I kind of grew up around dodging wheelchairs at the VA hospital. <laughs> so it was, I've been around people with disabilities my whole life. So I was not wasn't foreign to me. I wasn't intimidated by it. And then as I grew, I uh, in grade school, I had a friend with cerebral palsy that we were in scouts together, Cub Scouts, and the kids would pick on him because he had a different kind of gait. You know, he walked with a little bit of a limp and stuff. So bullies would pick on him. And so I, I walked him to school and kind of was his bodyguard in a way. And um, and then then when I got I married a lady with, with children, two boys, and then we had two girls, and my oldest daughter was born blind, and the other children had different abilities as well. So I got my my blind daughter into downhill skiing uh, in the 80s, and that really turned her life around. And I had started actually diving in the 70s when I was in college, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. You know, it's like you jump off a building and hover in the middle of an intersection. I mean, this is like being a superhero. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world and decided I wanted to teach at some point. But of course, when you have four kids at 24, you don't always get that opportunity right away. So I, I, um, I, you know, I dove, but I didn't really pursue the instruction side of it. And, and I grew and I taught and guided these blind skiers for decades. And all the time thinking in the back of my mind, you know, I, I think we could do this in diving, you know, getting someone out of a wheelchair and getting them to stand up underwater and this experience, this, this weightlessness. And so I, after, you know, I, the kids were grown and gone, I was divorced. I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I left a successful career in the media business and, and tried it. And the first couple of days after I left, I looked at the ceiling and went, what the heck did I do? Cause I, I don't draw a salary or anything. Um, you know, uh, so it was, it was, it was challenging at first, but I, I always thought it was going to be a little club type of event, like the, the blind, the blind ski club. It was, you know, our big fundraiser, I think for the year was a pizza party. <laughs> so, um, I had no idea that, that we would be doing programs all over the world. One of our biggest programs is in Malaysia. And when COVID hit, we canceled 14 trips, seven out of the country, and 200 pool programs just in the U.S., not including Malaysia and Borneo and the U.K. and different places where we had started programs. So it was uh, it, the thing for me that I love about this compared to skiing is it takes me the better part of a week. If we go on a week long ski trip to get someone acclimated to the, the skis and, the, and then, then to have them initiate turns and then to learn to follow commands down the hill it takes really several days to, before I can even get them really on a, on a green and doing something where I'm actually calling out turns behind them and guiding them effectively uh, in 30 minutes. If you're in a wheelchair and you've never been in the water before, I can get you standing up. And the cool thing is when guys stand up, anybody stands up underwater for the first time out of their wheelchair and looks down and goes, oh, my God, I'm standing up. Now, it might be the first time since their injury or it might be the first time in their life. If they were born with cerebral palsy or something like that, this may be the first time they're out of a wheelchair, you know, outside of being transferred to a bed or to somewhere else. So 
that really it's it's a quick fix <laughs> it's a quick kind of like high for me to see this happen and i smile all the time and i laugh all the time and and to see them smile then and go oh my god and see their eyes is is just the, the payback for me you know i don't need to get a salary or anything like that this is this is what it's all about for me what is it about water that is so freeing well, water's, uh, water is like, I mean, the atmosphere we're in right now, we're in one atmosphere talking to each other, and you feel the wind, right? And and the water is very similar. It's just eight, 800 times denser, and the, you feel the current the way you feel the wind, only it's it moves much slower, obviously. And the its ability to um, when we jump in the water, our body displaces so much water. So if I'm 100 pounds and I displace 100 pounds, you know I'm I should be neutrally buoyant pretty much. So a combination of putting weight on to initially descend underwater and having a vest that we can put air in because as we go down, air the the pressure increases, but our body is mostly water, so we don't feel it. We feel it in our air spaces which is why we have to like block our nose and blow and pop our ears because if you go underwater and you don't do that, you won't equalize your airspace and you'll feel pressure. If you've ever swam to the bottom of a swimming pool and felt that pressure, some people go, oh, I can't dive. When I go underwater, I feel this terrible pressure and it hurts. I go, well, everyone does. <laughs> you know, If you don't learn to equalize, then that's going to happen to anybody. So you have to equalize your, your mask. So you blow out through your nose and it pushes the, the mask away from your face. Otherwise, the mask, as you go deeper, it pushes against your face and you get like a ring around your face. Um, and you can tell people that aren't blowing out through their nose and equalizing because they come up out of the pool and they go and they've got this ring around their face. It's like, well, you need to blow out through here. So that's why we teach people why, why you go through training first. But but um, it really is this ability to achieve neutral buoyancy. We call it your astronaut moment. Okay, so you're you're in inner space, not outer space. But the truth is, astronauts have to work in a pool with divers before they can go and work on the space station or go into outer space. They have to learn to manage zero gravity and understand the dynamics of, of not being, you know, having gravity weigh you down, being able to move around. And that's why at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, they have the uh, replica of the space station in 40 feet of water in a huge tank. And that's where the astronauts work with divers. So if you went there, you'd see divers in the water staged, you know, as safeties, basically watching the astronauts work on the space station and, you know, jump around in zero gravity with their spacesuits on and stuff like that. So with skiing and diving, those those two things aren't easy to do. <laughs> but what have you seen with people of all abilities, you know, overcome that those challenges? And, you know, how does that help their confidence level? Well, I, I always felt that it, be it builds confidence, independence and self-esteem when you could do something that a lot of people that don't have disabilities we call them tabbies. We call people without disabilities. We call them temporarily able-bodied individuals. Because when you think about it, something eventually is going to take you down. So you are temporarily able-bodied. So if you're if you're a tabby, um, a lot of times you're more challenged doing diving than the person with the disability. If you think about what a person with a disability has to do every day, getting out of bed, 
is a major effort sometimes. Or going to the bathroom or transferring into a car from their wheelchair. So they deal with challenges every day that we completely take for granted. We move in and out of a building. We move in and out of a vehicle, up and down the street with without even really thinking about what it takes to do that if you have a disability. So they, a lot of times mentally, are better prepared to deal with zero gravity and underwater than, than people who are tabbies. And it's, it's really funny, in my perspective, it's funny when people first put their face in the water and we just have them do this at the surface with, with their mask on and their regulator in their mouth and they take that first breath in. And sometimes they'll go, I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. I, I laugh back and go, look at your brain is saying, what are you doing, stupid? <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're not supposed to breathe underwater. Duh. And and so it, it just takes a moment to get past that. And you, when you use humor and, you know, you just take your time and have a lot of patience and stuff with some someone, they eventually go, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay, I, I, I can do this, you know. And, and then once they do it, it's like, wow, this is so cool. And then we take video and photos of them. And then they share that with their friends and on social media. And now they're rock stars because they can dive, you know, and a lot of their tabby friends can't. So for you personally, um, even before Dive Heart, what did you learn from your father and your daughter? Um, I, I, you know, I, I guess because I learned I was so young around people with disabilities, I never really thought about it. It just kind of came naturally. And I was like, for example, if you rolled up to me in a wheelchair, my first instinct, if I wanted to talk to you, is not to look down and talk to you. It's to kneel, you know, so I can look at you eye to eye. Um, I think understanding, um, respect, uh, dignity, things like that, you know, give them, give them the dignity they deserve. And then help them explore um, the possibilities in their life. Really, our motto is imagine the possibilities. It's on the back of all of our Die Hard shirts. And that's really where it's at. It's like I kneel in front of a new person and I look at them in the eye and we talk about their abilities, not their disabilities. And then we take what abilities they have and we modify what we have to do in the water to give them a wonderful experience underwater. So that's kind of how we do it is imagine the possibilities. So it's helped me do that with everyone and i'm always learning um, we had an experience where you know, 2019 before covid hit we came up on a, on a trip in cozumel mexico and we love cozumel mexico because it it's cheaper than florida <laughs> and and also oh, wow. the current moves you through the water and what we can do is if i get you neutrally buoyant and now you're hovering and you use your breath to breathe in you go up a little bit when you exhale you go down a little bit and you learn how to control your breath and I swim backwards and you can follow me just using what abilities you have. If you have no arms and no legs, you can still control your buoyancy in the water column and just breathing. And then the current carries you. And we're just like safeties around you all the time. So that's kind of the, the beauty of that. And um, in, in, in 2019, I was, I was beginning to tell you the story where we're in Cozumel and we come up and there's four teams with quadriplegics and, and we call them adaptive divers. Each of them had quadriplegia and each of them had three people on their team. So four teams of four people basically came up and this boat 
pulls over and says, come on, get on our boat. And we go, well, you're not our dive operator. And they go, no, your diver op operator, that boat broke down and it's on the other end of the island. And we're like going, oh my God. It, you know, So now we have four quadriplegics with no wheelchairs and they have cushions that are like $700 that are like that thick that go on their chair so they don't get sores on their on their bottom, you know, decubidi. And so we don't have pads, we don't have wheelchairs, we don't have medication, we don't have catheters. And one thing you learn underwater is that you, you have to pee a lot of times. Yeah. If you're diving in a wetsuit, we, we, we kind of joke, we go, there's two kinds of dive, wetsuit divers, those that pee in their wetsuit and those that lie about it. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you got to pee. So when you, they get out of the water, now they got to pee and there's no catheters. Well, that knocks you, what happens is, they can't feel their feet. So if they, if they stub their toe or break their toe, they couldn't feel that. But what will happen is the, the pain, the, not, the stimulus still goes up their spinal cord to their brain. But because their spinal cord is injured, when it gets to the brain, it, it, it's confused, the signal. So it's a noxious stimulus that causes their blood pressure to rise a lot of times. And they could actually get a stroke. It's called autonomic dysreflexia. So we have four quads that come up. And each of them could get autonomic dysreflexia if they don't get catheters pretty quick. So on the fly, I'm, I'm rearranging the teams to try and get people on the boat who know how to take them out of the water safely. So we're sending people up on the boat, dive masters and instructors, and then they don't have their pads. So I'm saying, get those orange life vests and lay those out. So I put towels on them or something like that so we can set them on and we'll sit next to them with the with that. And I held a gentleman who was a quadriplegic and on my lap. So he was on my legs and I'm holding him. We both have our wetsuits on. So he was cushioned. And I'm telling the dive master to get a fast boat to that, our boat and get those chairs or at least the medication. So actually that's, that worked out and no one had a, had a stroke or anything, thank God. But they got back in time. Once we, they calf, then we could take our time transferring them back to our, the other boat. So it was, uh, but that was 2019. And I've been diving since 1976 and I've been teaching since 97. So I'm still learning all the time so that the next summer, what we did is we took catheters um, and we put them in our wetsuit. We tucked them in our wetsuit and we put them in our BC pocket or vest. And then we put them in like a waterproof container and we took them to a hundred feet to see if they would, you know, the integrity of the, the thing that they were in sealed, that sealed container they're in. Um, if it would, you know, degrade or anything like that. And, and in all three cases, the the catheter was still in great shape. It, no seawater got into the little container it was in. And that was good news. So now what we do is we put the catheter in the, the BC pocket of the buoyancy compensator pocket of, of the vest that the, the, the um, adaptive diver is wearing because they're the ones that need it. So no matter what happens to the three other people in that team, if somebody has to go to the surface or if we get him up onto the boat or her up onto the boat and they need to calf, they will have their catheter with them. So it's, uh, we, we like to say good divers are always learning. <laughs> so I definitely went to school on that one. Wow. <laughs> and that with, you know, adapting to every situation uh, with your programs, do you always adapt them when you learn something new? 
Yeah, absolutely. It depends. You know, we, we look at it, we get to a, a dive spot, whether it's a pool or an open water environment. And the first thing you have to do is you have to evaluate its accessibility. So if you're working with people with wheelchairs, you, um, you have to look at the egress and you know how they enter the pool and how they get out of the pool and as safely as possible. Safety is like always our number one um, thing that we're thinking about. So the environment is is number one, and then their abilities, you know, to to adapt. Um, we get in some pools that don't have like a four foot area where you can stand up and hold on to the diver and be you know chest level chest level in water. But we'll we'll have like maybe we're in seven feet of water. We're in a pool that's that deep. It's a lap pool or something. So we have to think about how we're going to stay at the surface and communicate and prepare everything before we go underwater. Because before you go underwater, you have to do a pre-dive safety check. You have to make sure all the gear is working right. You, you do a lot of that on the deck. But then when you get in the water, you have to make sure, double check everything again. It's like flying a plane. Pilots have checklists and divers have checklists too. In fact, diving came from aviation, from uh, flying. How does it feel personally when you see someone smile or enjoy diving for the first time? You know, I'll never forget the first few years I was doing this and we'd be in open water and I would just like shake my head and look up and go, thank you, you know, because you you see this happening or this is your fault. <laughs> you know, you go, you started this and, and it's really very moving at times uh even today still to uh be able to you know to think about that and, and uh, usually i'm just working so hard i don't even realize kind of what's going on <laughs> i just work 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 and uh i'm always looking at the next opportunity and, and adventure and trip and uh like right now we're planning a trip to uh with the doctors and researchers from Mayo Clinic, they came up to us and said, would you present at a conference? Uh, and we said, Mayo Clinic? Of course, yeah, we'd love to talk about the benefits of adaptive scuba. And we said, where's the conference? And they said, Cozumel, Mexico. So I'm like, cool. We're bringing the filmmaker. Uh, we have a, a documentary that came out in May uh, called Adapting to Dive. And it uh, has won nine international film festival awards since may since it premiered oh wow and yeah that's amazing i know and we've had that we we had the film if you if you get a chance to see it see it it's on amazon and tubi tv and it's on like six or seven streaming services and the uh the filmmaker gets us so much in his head and in his heart that i invited him on on three other trips so he is now capturing for us amazing in stories by individuals and, and putting them on our we put them on our youtube playlist when when they're ready and then we share them on social media but if you were to go to the dive heart youtube playlist you know youtube channel and click on playlist you get all of our military stories all of our medical stories all of our fun stories all of our symposiums we've done 11 adaptive scuba symposiums with uh, researchers and doctors from university medical centers all over the all over the world actually and um in their do our documentaries and our major features and you'll be able to get all those um outside of this new one the new one is on amazon so we can't yet put it on our youtube channel and then there's a tv show called random acts it's on the byu Brigham young university network and it's uh, this particular show random acts is the most popular tv show uh, on, the, on the network 
and we were featured as the premier story for, to open their season. So they they start their season in January, and they they showed our our uh, particular episode in October to promote the whole series. So that was an amazing story where we took an individual who's a motivational speaker, national motivational speaker, who has his own nonprofit where he sends wheelchairs all over the world. And he is a, he's a wheelchair user and he has quadriplegia from a spinal cord injury. And they said, can you take him on a shark dive in the Gulf of Mexico? And I said, no, I said, I said, I'll take him in the Bahamas, but not the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico, you can't see your hand probably further than your face. I said, a bull shark will eat your face before you have a chance to, to see him coming at you. I said, let me call um, a, an instructor who I trained years ago in, in Freeport, Bahamas, and see if she'll. she's the number one uh, shark professional in the world. Her name is Christina Zanato, and she called her. I said, if you, I'll, I'll handle... The, the individual has quadriplegia if you'll handle the sharks and she said absolutely so we went down for three days and arrived on a wednesday thursday got him in a 14-foot pool and he did miraculously and then we took him on a 40-foot shark dive and uh, they had three cameras on the boat and two cameras you know underwater where the sharks were and it was just an amazing amazing story so that that's another one we can't put on the youtube channel but, but that's a great place to see what we do and so this filmmaker's coming with us on the mayo clinic trip and then we um, we have another amazing story that we're looking forward to and that's the um there's a statue in in uh, pennant camp park in key largo underwater it's called the christ of the abyss and it's christ nine foot bronze christ statue looking up at the skies and the gentleman who brought that statue here in the 60s is one of my students believe it or not I started teaching him at a VA hospital with a bunch of other blind veterans and he was almost 80 years old. And, and we started, I started talking about diving. He goes, Oh, I've been diving since the fifties. I go, really? I said, why are you almost 80 years old? And I'm teaching, I'm certifying you now. He goes, well, we didn't need certifications back then. And I go, well, that's true. It was bootleg diving back in the day. So he bootleg dived for a long time. And I, and now he's, he's almost 80 years old and I'm certifying him to dive. Right. So he said, and then he starts telling a crazy story about how he brought the Christ statue over from Italy. I started laughing. I go, yeah, right. <laughs> and he uh, he starts bringing in pictures and he brings in a stack of photos of him in front of a, a wooden crate with the Christ statue in it at Navy Pier in Chicago. And then tells him this crazy story, how he went to Italy. He was on a wine trip, uh, met Cressy, a guy who makes dive gear. And then. Cressy says, I have three statues. Two are staying in Italy. I'm giving one to the U.S. He, Gabriel is this guy's name. He goes, what are you, how are you going to get it to, to the States? He goes, you, I'm not. You are. <laughs> so Gabriel Gabriel went to his father. Who, they ran an Italian restaurant. And Gabriel's dad went to a guy who owned an Italian shipping line. And they got it from Italy to Navy Pier in Chicago for free on the shipping line. And then it stayed in a National Guard armory at O'Hare Airport because Gabe Gabriel was in the um in the air in the army. So he knew a bunch of military guys and they got it in this, you know, military area. And, and it sat there, but it was during the Cuban Missile Crisis in in the early 60s. 
and so one day at, at nine o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning some some guys called and said hey we can get the the christ statue on a plane and get it to key west because they had to go down to the keys so he went there at two o'clock in the morning grabbed a bunch of guys and they got it on the plane got it down to the keys and then it, it sat in a warehouse for years until they were able to find the perfect spot for the christ statue to be stationed on this huge foundation because storms come and you got to make sure it doesn't move at all right so it was it was it was crazy so gabriel gets very busy with his italian restaurant and stuff and he forgets about the christ statue he brought it over here it got down to florida he's kind of done with that so in 2013 fast forward to 2013 and i'm driving him home from a, a fundraiser he um he comes to our fundraisers and he's really funny he makes balloon animals he's a hit everybody loves him right there's the, bl the blind guy making balloon animals <laughs> and he's a, he's a korean war vet too so he's now at this point he's in his early 80s he goes, I'm going to dive the Christ statue. I go, really? I go, well, who are you diving with? He goes, well, my buddy Vinny has one leg, and he's also a Korean War vet. And my buddy Louie, who's also going blind, is, is going to go with me. And I go, so three guys in, in their 80s are going to go with disabilities are yeah. going to go down to dive the Christ statue. I go, who's your vendor? Who's taking you out? I, and he, he goes, oh, well, well, Vinny has a fishing boat, like a 25-foot fishing boat. I go, really? <laughs> so your three guys are going to go out to eight miles out in the water with disabilities in their 80s and they're going to die basically so i i called my my vendor the number one vendor in key largo a rainbow reef and he cleared on a saturday eight paid spots to get uh gabe gabriel and the team on the boat and then we had 20 people in a chase boat follow us and, and we, we dove the christ statue for the first time with gabriel and it made the cover of miami herald um all sorts of, of media we, he was able to get from it so it was a really cool experience but he's now 90 and we're going to bring him down again to key largo to do a last dive with with christ and we're um bringing david marsh along the filmmaker and going to capture that and make a real complete documentary to tell the whole story about how it how it got down to key largo and it's the most viewed underwater object in the world it's really kind of crazy so that's what i look forward to is is those moments the next story and and its stories stick and, and i believe that if we can keep telling these powerful stories of hope and healing that it'll touch people's lives in a way where you know, they'll go, you know, my day's not so bad. <laughs> you know, here's a guy with, you know, with no, who's blind or here's someone with no arms and no legs. It's doing this incredible stuff. So I can take on this task in my life. And that's really our goal is to, to create a ripple effect so that people are, are touched by this and they can do things in their lives that they normally wouldn't do. Maybe they never get in the water or try diving, but they'll, they'll look at their, their life with a different perspective uh, and, and have hope and imagine the possibilities right so that's kind of the, the goal is to have them you know our people you know our adaptive divers change lives and influence you know people around them and and have that ripple through society i i mean that christ statue is so famous that is a wild story it, it the most viewed object in the world underwater yeah. What motivates you? Well, I, I have little little rituals. I go through habits in the morning. And even when I don't want to get up in the morning, I just sometimes just go, you know what? 90% of success is showing up. So, so get your butt out of bed <laughs> and just show up. 
and I do. And, and consequently, something happens inadvertently every day, little thing. It, it's a phone call. Thank you so much for this. Or it's it's something that I see that that makes me realize why I do what I do every day. And um, you know, I, I don't plan on retiring. I plan on dying with a tank on my back, basically. <laughs> but I, I also have learned to really just I focus so much on the positive stuff. I don't and, and abilities, you know, when I approach somebody with a disability, seeing their abilities and not focusing at all on the negative side, it helps you um, communicate that to people that might be struggling with depression. Uh, veterans, a lot of times, or people who have suffered traumatic injuries, sometimes are angry, sometimes depressed. And, and you know, I think my job partially is to help them kind of look at life a little bit differently imagine the possibilities and then go forward in a more of a positive manner. But for me, it's just getting up in the morning and, and showing up because I know when I show up, something positive will happen during the day. And that will inspire me to to go on and do more. And and it and it, and it works really every day. I mean, days that I really, really don't want, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm sick kind of, and I really don't want to get out of bed. I, I mean, very rarely does something keep me down. I, I go forward regardless of kind of how I feel and <clears throat> initially in the day. And then I, you know, take the day on and, and then something inspires me. And I go, wow. I go, thank you. I go, this is like, this never would have happened if I wouldn't have got out of it and gone and do, did what, and sometimes it's just doing plowing through the mundane stuff. It's, you know, maybe I have to move, you know, 50 scuba tanks and I don't feel like it. And I just kind of go take one at a time and just kind of go and, and do my business. And it's um, it's part of the process, really. Like, uh, I know that there's a really successful coach in Alabama, and he's probably the most winningest coach in college football. And part of his theory is finish, you know, finish the process, finish the play, finish the workout, you know, finish the block, you know, just finish and, and get through it. And so that's I think about the process a lot when I'm, when I'm doing the drudgery stuff, you know, that I don't necessarily want to do and say, you know, this little step that you're doing is going to move on to the next step. It's always that groundbreaking, wow, kind of stuff. It's, it's, you got to paint the wall of the new place you're in, or you got to move this, or you got to schlep that, or, you know, it's not, it's not always fun, but when you look at it as part of the process, then you kind of put it in perspective that this is going to help prepare for the next thing that we do, or this is one less thing that a volunteer has to do. Cause I work seven days a week, pretty much um, for no salary. And, you know, people say, Jim, your off button is broken. <laughs> pretty much. You know, I, I just don't know how to stop. And it's, it's really kind of cool. I, I was like that when I was in the media business too. I was with the Tribune, Chicago Tribune, WGN radio, and then I helped set up a TV station for them in Chicago. And I, I was always, always on, you know, when I was in the media business. Now I had family, so I did get to go home and, and take care of them and stuff. Yeah. Any, any moment that I was with the friends or able to talk about what I did, I was, I was talking about WGN or the Tribune or whatever. So I, I just do that now with Dive Heart. <laughs> it's just kind of like, I'm always, and I've learned to kind of dial back the, the excitement, enthusiasm, and always selling the, the concept um, a lot of times now. 
I'll let people discover it on their own because now we have hundreds and hundreds of stories on, on YouTube and in our media kit and our, our webpage. We did, we did during COVID and it's wonderful now. And we, I'm able to send them to places where they can watch stories. Like a new volunteer will come in. And the first thing I do is I probably send them a half a dozen um, links to documentaries or news stories or yeah. videos. And that's how, they become oriented to what we do. So when, after they go through our media kit or after they watch Adapting to Dive, they come back to me and go, oh my God, what you do, what you, what Dive Heart does is amazing. And that saves me a whole lot of time doing this, just talking. Right? <laughs> so I, I get to save time. I get them oriented to what's going on. I ask them to share those stories. So now they kind of become ambassadors and that is really advantageous as well. 